Welcome to the Pinocchio Project, and Merry Christmas. Uh, do you say Happy Advent, or you just say, It's Advent, y'all? Yeah, how about that? I've never heard a, uh, a greeting with anything in front of it other than, uh, yeah, it's Advent. So I hope you guys are uh, trying to rest a little bit, just trying to relax a bit, let all your problems drop and sink into the love and rest that your Savior provides, even in the midst of all this chaos. Uh, well, as again, uh, I wanted to do a couple of uh, Christmas uh, podcasts uh, just because of some things that come to my attention during this uh, season. Uh, and, and today, uh, I want to spring from a familiar text in Matthew 16. I'm just going to use it as an exemplary uh, transitional uh, move into our content. In, in Matthew 16, in verse 13, Jesus is traveling uh, through Caesarea Philippi with his posse, his disciples, and he pauses and asks a question. Who do people say the Son of Man is? And that's just one of the clarifying questions on the way to Jesus's final mission being completed uh, in his crucifixion and his resurrection. And who he is becomes more and more clear as the journey continues for those guys. But I want to take that question, who do people say the Son of Man is? And I want to apply it to a very popular Christmas figure, uh, particularly found as we uh, study our Bibles during the Christmas season, and that is Mary. Uh, Mary is asking, who do men say that I am? And there's uh, been you know centuries of, of conversation and dialectic and propositions about who Mary is. Uh, the Catholic Church and Catholic doctrine actually uh, identifies Mary very plainly as someone who is to be venerated. That means to be uh, beyond highly exalted. And uh, when I came to faith and started realizing the differences between, you know, some of our uh, denominations and and uh, systems, uh, I began to recognize that uh, as I went to some worship and experiences in Catholic churches, that there's something a little bit different about how Mary is treated. And so I wanted to examine that a little more here on the Pinocchio Project. Now, I know many, many uh, Catholic brothers and sisters who are deeply in love and in love with and committed to Jesus. And uh, I know people who claim to be in love and committed to Jesus in Protestant realms and are not nearly as devoted, quote-unquote, as some of my friends in the, the Catholic world. Uh, but this is something that, that I guess at first it, uh, I saw it uh, perplexing and then maybe puzzling and even troubling uh, when I began to, to look behind the curtain at what uh, traditional uh, a Catholic doctrine or dogma has to say uh, about who Mary is. And so what I want to do is... Uh, since we're in the season of Mary, if you will, as far as Protestant uh, churches, Mary gets no more attention uh, by a large percentage, a large proportion than she gets during the, the Christmas season. That's because we read so uh, often in the text of the birth narratives of Luke, uh, Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2. And uh, Mary is quite a central figure uh, in the birth narrative, obviously, as the Theotokos, or the God-bearer. And all those are kind of rich, deep theological terms that bear some unpacking, but I can't do that in this time. What I really want to do, and I, I, I hope I'm doing this in the spirit of clarification and maybe a proper calibration of uh, the, the creature and the creator, 
is is have a, just a brief conversation about what uh, the Catholic doctrine would say is is denoted as Mariology or Marian doctrine or dogma. And I want to compare that term Mariology to a word or a practice that I see maybe as a tendency, uh, not Mariology, the study of Mary, but Mariolatry, which is the the worship and the the veneration to the point of deification of Mary. Now, Catholics uh, would say that they don't see Mary as on the same plane as a deity, either Jesus, the Father, or the Holy Spirit. But in practice and in proposition, uh, that's that's open to question, I think. So I, I, I do this in the spirit, I hope, of just clarification, maybe for my own purposes, because I'm still working through this a bit, but I'm really using... Uh, Catholic documents and Catholic uh, official uh, dogma about their doctrine. So let me read this. This is uh, drawn strictly from Catholic uh, doctrinal resources. Uh, Within Catholicism, Marian dogma is defined as a matter of faith that something that is obliged to accept these three doctrines. And so Marian dogma, that means uh, bedrock beliefs, unshakable, unmovable foundations, in the Catholic faith, uh, as it as it comes to Mary, is obligated to accept these three doctrines. First, Mary participates in redemption with Jesus Christ. And uh, as a as a footnote and, and as a reference, uh, the, the the Vatican Council II is quoted on page four twenty. Uh, when she, this is the quote from Vatican Council II, when she, that is Mary, is the subject of preaching and worship, she prompts the faithful to come to her son. Now, I don't want to make that walk on all fours. It's just one single statement, but it does uh, contain some provocative concepts that Mary should be the subject of preaching, which is, I think, appropriate in certain ways as long as the the purpose is to glorify God in the preaching. But preaching and worship? Uh, See, that's where I have to just pause and remember, you know, things like the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. Uh, I I see throughout the text of the New Testament at various places, uh, for example, uh, in in Revelation chapter 19, uh, when when John is being ushered around and given a... uh, a, a really a, a vivid picture of what's to happen as God wraps up uh, history and ushers in the eternal state. In Revelation 19, John is experiencing some vivid visions uh, under the angel's guidance of the wedding supper of the Lamb and what's going on in heaven at that time. And he's just overwhelmed. And in verse 10, we read from John, at this I fell to his, that's the angel's feet, to worship him. But he said to me, Don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers and sisters who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. Now, that's in the imperative. Worship God, for it is the spirit of prophecy who bears testimony to Jesus. So this is one of just several examples of a direct command to devote and direct all of your worship to God and to Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so that, that to me is, I mean, that's a, that's a plain need for explanation, at least. 
And what you may or may not know about uh, Catholic practice is they have a high view of Scripture, but they also have a high view of the traditional teachings of the Church, or the magisterium, as it's called, uh, over the decades and centuries. So in the early decades and centuries of Catholic formation, uh, there was a movement in the tradition or in the magisterium to take Mary from what I would call is her rightful place, as, as the angel says, uh, I am a fellow servant with you, uh, and put her in a place of veneration and worship. Uh, so that's the first doctrine, the first of three in Marian dogma, preaching and worship. Uh, when she is the subject of those two, she prompts the faithful to come to her son. So thereby she participates in redemption with Jesus Christ. The second doctrine Grace is granted by Jesus only through the intercession of Mary. And if, I mean, if you're any, in any wise interested in a historic Orthodox understanding of Jesus' position as the one through whom all grace is given, uh, you will see that he is the only intercessor with the Father. Uh, Hebrews 7.25, he ever lives to intercede for you. There is no mention of a co-intercessor or a channel. And then finally, the third doctrine in, in Marian dogma is that all prayers from the faithful must flow through Mary, who brings them to the attention of her son. Now, just see a bit, ditto, uh, my, my previous statement of uh, no mention at all, no development, no hint, no nothing implied or expressed that Jesus is in any need of someone to hand him the letters of prayer from the faithful uh, who are desperate to have him attendant to their needs or their cries. And so uh, I would offer, I, I took this from some other resources I was reading. I'm not sure if this is too strong for me right now, but it, it may be. I mean, if you look at it uh, from a concept perspective, uh, the adherence to these three doctrines and to hold them as truth uh, would in practice redefine the Trinity as sort of a quartet. Uh, and the idea that Mary is a co-redemptrix, if you will, the, the, the redemptrix, the IX, is the, the, uh, uh, the female component, like co-redemptor or redemptrix would be the female, or a co-mediatrix uh, contradicts all kinds of Scripture. Uh, and one, for example, is 1 Timothy 2, uh, verse 5, which says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, and that is the man, Christ Jesus. Jesus is the only mediator, and there's not another needed according to how we see theology developed throughout the Old and New Testaments. There is no mediator between man and Jesus. Jesus himself dwells in believers and thus, no other mediator is required. Uh, that, that's a reference back to Colossians verse uh, 27 of chapter 1. And so uh, I just want to go back to one of these Christmas texts that we teach and preach and enjoy, uh, the Magnificat. Uh, if you remember, Elizabeth is pregnant, Mary's relative. Uh, John the Baptist is her progeny, miraculous birth. Gabriel tells... Mary, that she is highly favored, blessed among women, and she is chosen to be the receptor of the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit 
in order to fulfill God's promises uh, through his people Israel and to the benefit of the world as this miraculous child, miraculous, miraculously conceived child uh, is carried in her womb. She is what's known as the Theotokos. I mentioned that, the God-bearer. And so uh, the great summary song in her overwhelmed soul is found in Luke chapter 1, verse 46 and following through 54. And what I want to do is I want to see how much of this Mary uh, directs to herself as attention and how much she points and glorifies, points to and glorifies the Lord. And Mary said, my soul, that's her soul, that she's, re she's referencing herself, glorifies the Lord. So she is directing all of her soulish energy and all of her overwhelmed state into a form of glorification of the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. He is the object. He is the only object. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed because the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. And now for the rest of her great song, what we know as the Magnificat, she will never mention herself again. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. And maybe that, if she, if she wanted to receive it, that's a reference to her as well in her humility to say yes to God's miraculous assignment for her, but he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. And so that's her song. Uh, and she would, I believe, uh, by extension, say to us, uh, as John was told by the angel, don't worship me. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers and sisters who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. The spirit of prophecy bears testimony to Jesus. And so in summary, uh, we are prohibited from worshiping or idolizing any creature, whether it's an image bearer, human being, or whether it is a an member of the angelic host. But in Mary's case, while we don't idolize her, we do hold her in high regard. We regard her for God's choosing her uh, in the most miraculous and unconventional, to say the least, way to be the God-bearer, making sure that Jesus is qualified to be our atoning sacrifice by having the Holy Spirit overshadowing her. And we regard her for her unquestioned responsive submission when Gabriel gave her the news that she would bear Jesus. Uh, after questioning for clarification, how can this be since I know no man, uh, the clarification was enough for her. The Holy Spirit will overshadow you and the Spirit of the Most High will come upon you. And her response of submission, which it should be for all of ours when God comes to us and has a request or a command. Let it be to me as you have said. 
and we know the result of her obedience is the fact that she had a joyful, joyful experience in pregnancy and childbirth. Uh, as it was prophesied, she had warnings along the way when Jesus was presented in the temple, and she was told that a sword was going to pierce her soul because of this child, and she experienced the utter devastation of being a mother kneeling at the cross of her son, cruelly, humiliatingly sacrificed. And then again, the joy of seeing God's promises come true as her son was raised from the dead and indeed completed his mission to become the sacrificial savior of all mankind, everyone who says yes, whosoever will. So Mary is held in high regard, but never to be idolized. So Mary, thank you for saying yes. As a result, Jeff and I are children of the King because of what God has done. Merry Christmas from the Pinocchio Project. Mitch Friedman signing off. 